Hello, and welcome to Not Your Mother's Housing Market, the podcast where we dissect and discuss emerging trends in today's housing market because a 21st century market requires 21st century strategies. Or, like my grandpa always used to say to my grandma, because it ain't the 50s, Rita. I'm Katie Keaton with Realty One Group Pacifica, and I am joined by... LaDonna Page, Liabilities Manager and Mortgage Originator with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. And we are so excited to bring you today's topic. We're going to be talking about a hot button one, which is low appraisals and what to do if you get one, whether you're a seller or a buyer. But before we jump into that, we will bring you a word from the Cowlitz Podcast Network sponsor. So we will take a listen to that right now. Take control of your account and make interacting with Cowlitz PUD easy with SmartHub. Through SmartHub, you'll be able to view detailed usage information, make a payment, enroll in programs, set account notifications, and much more. You'll also receive important news and information about Cowlitz PUD and can quickly contact us with any issues regarding your service. You'll be able to put yourself in the driver's seat of your Cowlitz PUD account. Smart management, smart life, smart hub. All right, and we are back on the Cowlitz Podcast Network. You can listen to our podcast and others at cowlitzpodcast.com. So, LaDonna, tell me about your week, what you've been up to, and if there's anything exciting in your real estate world. (laughs) Honestly, this week I've been working really hard on a couple of reverse mortgages, which are super fun for me. I know you love those, and I think maybe someday we'll get into those because I know nothing about them, and I would love to hear your take on it. But um, I had something happen this week that kind of tied in to what we had decided to talk about last week. So why don't you give everyone a reminder about what we were planning on talking about in episode three of Not Your Mother's Housing Market. So yeah, this is episode three. We're super excited about it. I had a very large coffee this morning, so we're crazy jazzed, actually. And um, today we are talking about appraisal gaps, where your appraisal comes in just a little bit below what you offered. Yes. And don't worry if you're someone listening who has um, no idea what an appraisal gap is. We will definitely be explaining that for you. And for the people who are totally aware of what an appraisal gap is. Hopefully, um, this conversation will give you a better idea of where the real estate and the lending professionals are coming um, at the problem with and kind of the the background we're coming into it with and how we see things. Um, so yeah, I mentioned that I had a situation this week that really tied into the low appraisal hubbub. So basically, I have a new buyer, and they are approved for up to $400,000, but they, um, you know, want to say a little bit less if possible, but they're willing to go to four hundred. We were looking at houses, and we saw one for three fifty. dollars So perfect, right? It was a wonderful house for their family. We ended up offering three eighty dollars for the house, and um, we lost because even though there was another offer that was a little bit lower than three eighty, dollars they had decided to pre-negotiate a low appraisal and put in an extra document for low appraisal, and that's what won them to the day. And that's because sellers are well aware that low appraisals are happening. And so they want to um, have assurance from their buyers that the buyers will take care of it if it comes up. So that being said, keep that story in mind as we move into the rest of the conversation, because there's definitely pieces of that story that will come back up as we go along. Um, You know, what we could have done differently to make our offer more competitive, why we chose not to do that, and um, all sorts of good nuance as we go. But 
before we get into that, let's start back at the beginning. LaDonna, just explain to us what an appraisal is for, what it is, and why they are part of the real estate process. So looking at appraisals, we kind of needed to define a couple of things. Like um, an appraiser is just one professional coming out and looking at your house and making their best estimate at what they think the market value of that home is. However, that kind of leads into true market value, which is what a buyer is willing to pay in a free market without those opinions. Totally. So um, to kind of step back a little bit more towards the beginning, um, who is the appraisal for? Because at the end of the day, the appraisal really is for the lender. If you're buying with cash, you don't even need to get an appraisal if you don't want to. So can you speak about where the appraisal fits into the lending process and what it triggers for the lender and why you need an appraisal done? We need an appraisal done because we need to know what the value of the home is, what we can get out of it if the buyer happens to default on that loan. Right, because really, I mean, yes, you own your home when you're purchasing a home, but the lender has a huge stake in that home if they are the ones that are lending you money for it. And, you know, when you're purchasing a home, you're going out to the home, you're going to the inspection, you're, you know, deciding where you want to put furniture. This home has huge sentimental value to you, but the lender never goes out and sees the house. The lender isn't moving into it or anything like that. So the lender needs to look at whether or not it's a good risk to take, whether or not it's a good place to spend their money. Um, and so lenders really have to look at it as more of a business decision and more black and, and white, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Because that is our asset. That's how we're going to back up this loan. If you do default on it, if you're not going to make your payments and we have to then turn around and sell it, we need to know that we're going to be able to get that $380,000 out of it. Totally, totally. So that kind of explains what an appraisal is used for. So it's used by the lending institutions to make sure that they um, should loan on the property. And it also explains who does the appraisal. Like you mentioned, um, an appraiser, just one appraiser comes out and looks at the home. There is a lot of education that appraisers need though. Have you ever looked into an appraisal course? Yeah, it's insane. It is. It is a lot. And I just kind of laugh because an appraiser's job is truly the definition of a professional opinion. They are a professional and their opinion really is set in stone. Yeah, they do two year, a minimum of two years of apprenticeship before they can be certified to go out on their own. So they, I mean, they're, they really put a lot of time and a lot of education into it. There's no shortcut for that at all. Yeah, definitely. And just kind of as a side, side note, because this is not your mother's housing market, um, the way that appraisers and lenders communicate is a lot different than it was, you know, 20 years ago or even before 2008 and all that stuff. Um, from what I've heard and talking to people before, the lenders and the appraisers really were able to talk about the house, discuss the house. And that was one of, you know, one of the things that people say kind of led to the bubble. Would you agree with that? Or what's your, what's kind of the lender side of that situation? hundred percent. Yeah. The, you know, there used to be a lot of grease in your pocket. Like <laughs> I could let you know 
the price point that I needed this house to come into. And if you knew that I was pretty good at my Christmas gifting, then you might be more likely to give me that price that I'm asking you for. Um, whereas now it's all through a system. It's all automated essentially. Like I, I have no idea who the appraisal is. You meet the appraisers. You've seen a ton of them at this point, And I have no idea who they are except the one appraiser that came out to my house when I purchased it here. Um, but right. I don't even have contact for him <laughs> from, the, from my personal experience. Right, but exactly. Like, I, I reach out to the company that manages the appraisers um, or sends them the requests, I guess, really is what it is. He doesn't ma- they don't manage them. But um, I reach out to them and I say, hey, I need an appraiser to do this. And then they float it out there and an appraiser picks it up and schedules an appointment and then gives us the gives the report back to that distribution company, and then they give it back to us. Um, and if we have any questions, same process back to the distri- middleman um, whole way through. Mm-hmm. It's much more of like a double blind system than it used to be to really keep it fair. Um, and I mean, I have total respect for appraisers because I think it's a really hard job. It's a life and death decision that they're making, you know, um, life and death, that's a little dramatic, (laughs) but it's life changing. I guess that's what I should say, because if an appraisal comes in low, that can completely halt a transaction. It can make a transaction completely fall apart. And, um, the appraiser just has to to know that, hey, I did my research on the house. I did my research on the comparables. I'm highly trained. I'm not coming into this with a bias or, or you know, I am not coming in trying to keep the market low or to boost the market up. I'm really just giving my fair opinion on this house. So um, shout out to all the good appraisers out there. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> these people really do, like, they get to know the house intimately in the hour and a half that they're there you know they check wires they check um in all the little tiny spaces that they have to crawl into they are poking at everything you know they poke at the windowsills to make sure that they're not they don't have dry rot they they look for all sorts of things because we need to know that kind of information definitely so now that we kind of have that background um and like you said you really you're not boots on the ground with the appraiser or really the appraisal process when you come in is basically just getting a sheet of paper or a document that says, yes, the house appraised for at value or no, the house didn't appraise at value. So um, I'll take over now and just kind of explain what part of the process the appraisal happens at. So let's say um, in this situation, I'll I'll go back and use um, the situation that I talked about earlier. In this scenario, we won the offer. So in this scenario, we offered 350 on a, or the house was listed at 350. We offered 380. So let's say that the the seller decided to choose our offer. So we are under contract for $380,000 on a house that was listed at $350,000. So that's a $30,000 difference between list price and between offer price. So Um, we're under contract, we get our inspection going, the inspection is the first part to make sure the house is, you know, sound, we get past the inspection negotiations, that goes great. So the next hurdle is the appraisal. And right now appraisals are taking a long time, because appraisers are so inundated with um, 
refis. So they're taking a long time and they're very nerve wracking. Everybody's nervous for the appraisal or appraiser to go out to the house. So um, the appraiser comes out, like you said, they really just kind of poke around. They're not nearly as in depth as the inspector. That's not their job. They are more um, looking at the house and then comparing it on a very analytical level to the comparable. So it's this big price worksheet and, you know, you get $2,000 more for this house because they have, you know, granite in the bathroom and this house has X amount less because they only have one and a half baths instead of two, you know, whatever. So it's a very analytical process. But so let's say you, LaDonna, um, we're working together on this transaction and the appraisal comes in at 360. So that means the house was listed at 350. We offered 380 and the house appraises at 360. Now what do we do? That means we're $20,000. There's a gap, which... Like we mentioned at the beginning, this episode is all about appraisal gaps. So there are a few different ways that you can go about that. But basically, um, from your perspective, what what immediately comes through your mind when you see that happen? So your seller or your yeah, your seller expects to see three hundred and eighty thousand dollars come to them minus fees, whatever. But that's what they're now selling their house for is $380,000. And so you've agreed that you're going to pay this $380,000, but you need to come up with that 20,000 difference between the 60 and the 80. And that means that you either need to pull $20,000 out of your account, negotiate that down with repairs or whatever through your real estate agent or um, you need to shift your funding to cover that. Yeah. So like you mentioned, um, you know, especially in this market, that seller listing their house for three fifty, they're probably expecting twenty to thirty thousand dollars over that three fifty. Um, and even if they're not, even if they thought they were going to get 350 and then an offer comes in at 380 as much as realtors we've really tried to remind our sellers hey do not spend the money in your mind before you have it in the bank there's multiple levels of negotiation here you do not have that extra thirty thousand dollars in your pocket yet do not get your heart set on it um it's human nature that people are like oh i have another thirty thousand dollars i'm gonna buy a boat or whatever it is so it can be heartbreaking for a seller to get an appraisal back and they can be mad. You're right. They can say, hey, you agreed to pay 380. Um, the good thing, I mean, I guess it depends on who you are. <laughs> Maybe a bad thing if you're a seller, but a good thing if you're a buyer is that um, the Washington forms do um, have a lot of caveats for that so that a buyer can take different routes if they have a low appraisal. So, um, you know, first of all, the the buyer can say, hey, I literally do not have $30,000. Maybe the buyer is doing a loan where they're getting down payment assistance and um, they're doing an FHA loan or maybe they're doing USDA. They're not, they don't have cash. Right. Um, in that situation, it's a negotiation. And if the seller wants to move along with the offer and just drop the price down to the 360 or whatever, 
they can do that. Or maybe the buyer and seller agree that, okay, there's a $20,000 difference. Um, the buyer will bring $10,000 extra cash and the seller will drop the price by $10,000. Um, and I mean, they don't have to meet in the middle, but they can come to an agreement. Um, or the buyer can decide if they have the money to either bring another $20,000 to the table, or they can, like you mentioned, um, kind of redisperse the funds that they're already bringing to the table to make up that difference. And so one of the things we want to get into today is why would you decide to do that? Is it, is it a good idea to do that? And what circumstances should you do that? And also how can you do that if you decide to? Right. So do we want to start with the how can you do that? And you can kind of explain the different ways um, someone could bring the extra $20,000 to the closing table. I kind of want to cover the why first, actually, because making that choice comes before how am I going to do this? Like, why would I why would I pay $30,000 or $20,000 more for a house than what it's valued at? Yeah, you're totally right. Maybe I'm putting this part off because I know this is the part that we don't fully agree on. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, let's talk about everything else before we get into the part where I'm like, I would have to politely We're disagree. We're going to have a fight about this, Katie. <laughs> We're not going to fight in the podcast room. It's fine. Um, but yeah. Okay, let's start with the why. So um, in my mind, I am a skeptic and I'm so cheap. I'm the cheapest person ever. <laughs> I really am. I, you know, we're doing the Not Your Mother's podcast, but, or Not Your Mother's Housing Market podcast, but I'm the person that's like, oh, back in my day, I would never pay more than $20 for a pair of jeans. Oh my gosh. So I'm an old woman already. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, in the real estate sphere, the conversation is brought up. Are you a good realtor if you are letting your clients pay $20,000 more for a house and essentially be upside down in the house to start out with. Um, and at first, um, before digging into the conversation more, I really felt strongly like, uh, if they have to pay that much more for a house, um, and especially if they want to negotiate that before, um, before they even put an offer in on the house, Am I doing my job? Am I doing my job if I'm letting people do that? And now that I've thought about it a little more and had conversations with LaDonna, but also other real estate agents and looked some stuff up myself, I'm starting to realize that um, it really is dependent on the situation. And a huge factor of that is, do you love this house? What are your reasons for buying this house? Do you need to buy a house? Do you truly need to buy a house? Do you love this house and you do not care like you will sell your kidney for this house um or is <laughs> it a house that you're your like <laughs> yeah exactly can I put that as my down payment <laughs> um one kidney <laughs> yeah exactly I write that in my offer it's we've seen some funny offers coming through um one, my designated broker actually had a client that in his offer said he is a tattoo artist and part of the offer was free tattoos for life which for the right seller that's a great deal. Because tattoos are expensive. I don't know. Don't have any. Don't want any. Like, know a few people that have them. Know a few people that do them. But just. Not like, for it's, you. It's not my thing. Well, I, when I heard that, I don't really have tattoos either. But I know how much they cost. And I'm like, oh, dang. That's a good deal. <laughs> if I got that an offer, maybe I would get some tattoos. I'm too cheap for them right now. Um. But yeah, anyway, so people are writing crazy things into offers. Crazy things. Like, people are offering, like, we'll keep that farm animal. Or, you know, mm -hmm. you're moving somewhere where you can't take your dog. We'll love your dog. Yeah. 
yeah, it's crazy. But so in situations like that where someone loves that house, um, maybe it's worth it to them. If they have the cash and the market is increasing at the rate it's increasing and they don't plan on moving in the next year to, you know, whatever they plan on holding on to this house, then um, I understand why someone would cover the appraisal gap. But if it's someone who maybe is just very buyers weary and they've lost four or five, six offers and they're realizing the only way, you know, to get a house is to um, cover an appraisal gap to begin with in, in your offer. Um, and you don't love the house and you're just like, oh, I will do anything to stop looking, but I don't love this house. then I don't think it's the right decision. Um, but yeah, why don't you get into um, your side of it and kind of your thoughts and and some points that you've brought up to me as we've been discussing this the past few weeks? Yeah. So, like, just to get into the hard numbers of it, um, appreciation is up year over year 13%, which is insane, by the way. And that kind of brings around the question of are homes overvalued right now? And people who lived through the housing bubble – that's freaking them out. Oh, totally, totally. But this is a really different market than the housing bubble burst. Like right now, our housing, our house buying power is so much stronger than our values. Um, so Mark Fleming, who's the chief economist over at First American, um, he was talk he writes a blog and on there one of them um is based solely on this question of are homes overvalued um he did a bunch of research and found that california there's three markets in california which is like san jose los angeles and san francisco um those are the only markets out of the 50 biggest markets in the country that are overvalued and obviously that is according to hit like the criteria he's using. Right. But that does bring up a great point and something that I did want to talk about and something you brought up at the beginning of the podcast. And that is what is the true market value of a house? Um, so back in real estate school, we would talk about, you know, the cost of a house. So literally building costs, how much does it cost to build a house? The price of a house. So the price of the house is the, um, you know, the price someone actually pays for it or the price that's set when they're trying to sell it. But then you also have... Um, the true market value. And the true market value is what a normal buyer would pay for the house in a, oh my gosh, what is it? Did you free write? market. In a free market, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it is what someone is willing to pay for the house. And my mentor's husband, um, she and I were talking about this the other day, um, he always asks their clients, forget about the price tag, forget about the, um, the list price, if you had never seen a price attached to this house, what would you think it's worth? What would you pay for it? And buyers, we're looking at a lot of houses right now. It's not like we're looking at one or two. Buyers are starting to see like, hey, this house is listed at 320 and this house is listed at 320. There's something wrong here. This one is clearly better and maybe is a little underpriced. So truly, um, it's what buyers are willing to pay for a house. And 
Like I mentioned earlier, it's not uncommon in our market here in Cowlitz County in Washington State. I don't think I said that at the beginning, which I normally do. <laughs> um, it's not uncommon for houses to go for twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars over asking price and now sellers are getting savvy to the fact that like okay that's fine if you're gonna offer forty thousand dollars over asking price and there's five of you offering forty thousand dollars over asking price so first of all that begs the question if there are four buyers who are willing to pay forty thousand dollars over asking price forty thousand dollars over asking price is the true market value absolutely and that's really you know, when I look back at that and it's like true market value, really, like if all of these people are willing to pay that much over asking price, that's the true market value. Right. Right. And where Mark Fleming is getting his information from and like really breaking the analysis down is he's looking at that buying power. He's looking at our income. He's looking at our low interest rates. He's looking at all the differentials there and the ratios and seeing that we make enough money the interest rates are low enough, we can afford to purchase homes at a much higher level than we actually are. Well, and it's funny that you say that too, because, you know, we hear record low interest rates, record low interest rates, record low interest rates. We hear it, we hear it, we hear it, and we think, oh, that's awesome. But then we also hear record high prices, record high prices, record high prices. And there's like a disconnect where people don't realize one determines the other. Right. It so, 100% does right. because as interest rates go down, you can afford to purchase a more expensive home. And that really drives the purchase power, which then in turn drives the price and the willingness to pay that. Because if I'm looking at a $350,000 home and it costs... um you know, and I'm getting it at 7% interest rate versus a $350,000 home that I'm getting at a 3% interest rate. That's a giant difference in your payment. Totally, totally. So yeah, it's just funny because you guys keep in mind the reason that there are record high prices is because there are record low interest rates. Right. So it's not shocking that we would have record high prices because we have record low interest rates. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, why would you cover an appraisal gap? Well, I think we already talked about that. I think if someone is in love with the house and it's what they have to do to get the house and they need it and everyone else is offering just as much over, um, that would be why. And then one other point before we get into how is kind of a little bit of the real estate strategy. And we will talk about this in a future episode. We'll be talking about like writing a winning offer in today's market and the little strategies that your realtor can do to make your offers really stand out. But, um, one of those things is including a 22 AD, which means additional down payment. Basically that form, you put it in with your offer, you, um, you know, you're putting that in before you're even under contract. And that form basically is the negotiation for low appraisal before the appraisal comes in. So you can write on, again, let's go back to these numbers. Let's price 350, offer prices 380. So maybe we wrote 380, but then we also included a 22 AD. So in that form, we said, hey, if an appraisal comes in low, we will bring in another 
$10,000 to make up the difference. So in that situation, we're hoping that if appraisal does come in low, it only comes in $10,000 low and we hit that difference. Um, but the nice thing is if the appraisal only comes in $5,000 low, we're only bringing $5,000. We're not, we're not held to the 10 and, um, you know, maybe it comes in $20,000 low. Well, we can say to the seller, Hey, we've already came up $10,000. We've already gotten off of our wallet $10,000 for this. So can you please meet us in the middle? So that gives the sellers, um, that gives the sellers a huge incentive to pick your offer because they know that a low appraisal might happen. So they're going to pick the offer that has the 22 AD where they know there's already money there for a low appraisal, even if it's not the highest offer. Yeah. So from a liabilities manager standpoint of this, I'm going to say that why I would cover an appraisal gap would be because of my opportunity cost. And because if I don't get into this house now and appreciation goes up 13% this year, then I've lost that opportunity to be in that home gaining that appreciation. And we're, we'll definitely cover that because that we're going to go into that a little bit more next week with the opportunity gap, but, uh, or opportunity loss. But, um, well, I think the opportunity cost too is how much you're losing. Um, if you're spending that time renting. Because oh, yeah. the opportunity costs are also losing building your equity. Right. I mean, it, it compounds a lot. It goes up very fast. But, um, you know, the quick and dirty is the appreciation of it. Um, but that kind of leads us into, you know, how do you cover that? And Katie has spoken a lot to you can negotiate part of it out. As we come up with part of it, you can bring part of it down. Um, but also, you know, if I come into this with $50,000 in my bank account that I'm willing to put into home, I like best case scenario. And what our mothers have always taught us is we need to put 20% down. Right. So $50,000, I'm going to put that down on this house and... It, this is going to be lovely. That's my mom's market. Mm -hmm. In this new market, I've got $50,000, but now I need to cover a $20,000 gap. And I am going to now shift my funding to bringing in less money than that 20% down. So I'm now bringing in $30,000 for my down payment for the mortgage. And I'm giving the $20,000 to the other group, the seller. And that means that I'm going to have mortgage insurance, which is a very dirty word for <laughs> most people in this market. They look at mortgage insurance and they go, gross, don't want that. No, thank you. Yeah. But mortgage insurance on the average house usually runs like 80-ish dollars a month. Mm -hmm. And... You're going to make that up so fast in appreciation and the value in your home that in the long run, it doesn't really matter. Well, and speaking of not your mother's housing market, I think before I was a realtor, I thought you could do, you know, an FHA loan that was 3.5% or you could do a conventional loan that was 20%. Those were really the only two options. I, I mean, obviously, or you could buy your house in cash, but like what sociopath can do that? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm projecting because I cannot do that yet. 
Um, anyway, so I really thought it was 3.5% down for an FHA or 20% down for conventional. And that is not true. Um, conventional can go all the way down to 3%. Yeah. But you can do 3%. You can do 5%. You can do 10%. 20%. So maybe you're not bringing 20% down to begin with, but you are bringing a big lump sum. Maybe you sold your house and so you have a lump sum or, you know, you've just been really great about saving. You have it. You might still be paying mortgage insurance. Let's say you're putting 10% down on the house. You're still paying mortgage insurance, um, but you have this big um, lump of cash that you're putting down on the house. What you're saying basically is they can redistribute that. So it's still the same amount. Let's say it's 50,000. It's still 50,000. It's still, you're still draining your savings account by $50,000. <laughs> yes, you are still yes, taking $50,000 out. You're basically just giving different amounts to different people. So originally you were giving all of your $50,000 to the lender and then the lender was paying out the seller. In this situation where you're making up a gap, now you're only giving $30,000 to the lender and you're giving $20,000 to the seller. Right. And it's up to the mortgage advisor mm-hmm. to sit with the the buyer and say, these are the different strategies totally. that we can take for these different scenarios that are very likely to happen in this. Because I can't really remember the last purchase that didn't have a gap. Right. Because oh, yeah. They're, like, they're happening a lot. This is a thing. <laughs> yeah, they're happening a so, lot. Like, so if your mortgage advisor isn't, advising you on how to play out these different scenarios Mm -hmm. you need to talk to somebody else you need to get a second opinion because Mm -hmm. this is something that is very real right now well and I think um we'll we'll be wrapping up the episode here in just a few but um I think it really does come down to the fact that like if you are in this market if you're listening to this podcast whether you're a seller or whether you're a buyer maybe first time home buyer or you've done this before um first of all be aware that it's happening it's nothing crazy if it happens to you it's not the end of the world you are not alone it's happening to lots of people in this market and then second of all um be open to the conversations that the professionals that you're working with are having with you so um if your realtor brings up like hey let's negotiate for a low appraisal before we even get under contract they're not crazy (laughs) it's just a great way to um you know win an offer and if your lender is saying hey okay let's have um our plan a our plan b and our plan c and so you don't have to be scrambling to figure that out with your lender um when a low appraisal comes in. So really just have open lines of communication. These are conversations you should be having with your lender. You should be having with your realtor. And um, they are very navigable. Also, um, you know, if you're like me and you're a critic and you're cheap and whatever, (laughs) um, just know that there are valid reasons for paying an appraisal gap. But if that's not for you, that's fine too. So it is truly your experience. Um, You are the master of your own destiny. It is, but you definitely need your professionals on your team to help you get into this home. Those conversations that they're having, like the, those important CYA conversations, like you C- have to have CYA. <laughs> what does that mean? Google it. <laughs> CYA. I'm not using the word. <laughs> I 
I'm, I'm standing here just like my eyes open. I'm racking my brain. Is it like a come to Jesus? Is that? No? Sort of, yeah. Okay. Come to Jesus moments. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a cleaner way of saying that. Okay. I'm Googling this right after we leave. But um, have those tough conversations. Yeah, like have those tough conversations. They're, they're, they have your back is why they're saying we need to write in this offer. So a lot of people then are asking the question of, what does it mean if I'm paying more for this house than somebody was asking for it? Definitely. Definitely. That is a huge question. Yeah. So what does it mean to you, Katie? Well, I might be stealing your answer. Can I steal your answer? <laughs> sure. Because that means okay. I taught you. Yes. <laughs> I taught you something and I'm just going to have a proud mama moment. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so we were talking and that is one thing too, is if you're, if you're in the market, the appraisers are going off of things that have sold. They were going off of things that have sold. They're not going for things that are active. They're not looking at prices of comparables that are active. Um, they're kind of starting to look at prices that are pen or comparables that are pending, but a lot of them still aren't doing that. Um, mostly they are looking at things that are sold. So if your house appraises for that bigger number, or if you pay the gap and you um, have closed on your house, so you have bought the house with that gap, then that means you've kind of reset, this is a sword? Is this, was this your answer? Did I steal it? Okay. You're resetting the market. You're part of what is driving the market forward because um, you're resetting the price of your home. Now it's listed everywhere. Like it's not listed anywhere. Hey, this person bought this house for um, under what it was appraised for. It doesn't say that anywhere. It just shows, hey, this house was bought for 380 and now those appraisers are going to be using your comparable the next time they have a house listed for 350 that is has an offer at 380 you're the comparable that they're using absolutely and i'm so proud cuz are you so proud my message came through to you very clearly because you very well like i think well i even done. used like some of your own verbiage <laughs> that's how much i like tucked it away in my brain yeah. it was the first time we talked about low appraisals and i was like no you oh. should never pay over appraisal pricing I, I remember that conversation. Realtor if I had let someone pay over appraisal price. Yeah, well, that was three months ago when you could maybe get away with it, but not anymore. <laughs> right. Also, and, <laughs> and no, your advice is absolutely true. And I left that conversation being like, okay, I need to think about this from outside of my cheap lens. And I need to really think about what it does for the market and um, what it says to everybody. And also the fact that it does reset the price of your house. It does, 100%. Um, when tax adjusters go in to look at values of home, they're now looking at that price. Um, so your neighbors who are not selling their homes are <laughs> not necessarily going to love you for that. But uh. your neighbors that are going to sell their home in the next three or four or five months, a year, whatever, they're excited because you just made their house worth more. That is so true. Preach, sister. So, you know, you don't even have to take a pie over to be the favorite neighbor. <laughs> okay. It's not well, the 50s, Rita. It's, it ain't the 50s, Rita. It ain't the 50s. I hope my parents listen to this. They'll laugh. 
Um, okay, so we have been talking for 40 minutes, which is okay. a lot longer than we've talked our other podcasts, but I think this was a great conversation. I hope you guys agree. It was a little more serious. It was a little more digging into like the actual true issues, but that's what we're here to do. So I hope you guys could follow along. The conversation was clear and that we made sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why don't you kind of tell everyone what we'll be speaking about next week? Because I think you will be definitely taking the reins next week. For sure. <laughs> so next week is one of my favorite conversations, <laughs> which is that three-sided balance sheet where you look at your liabilities and your assets as your two-sided balance sheet that everybody else does. But then you throw your real estate in there and you've now got three sides because your real estate falls as an asset and a liability because the kind of real estate that you own sets the tone for all of your financial decisions. So it's a Venn diagram. Yeah. Okay. So it's a Venn diagram and real estate is in the, in the middle. <laughs> it's both an asset and a liability. True. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's how I will picture it in my mind. Okay. Um, so, and you know, and your opportunity cost comes into that and absolutely. The values of your homes and everything, like, all of it makes so much more sense. Yeah, and I think that'll be a really fun one. And then I'm thinking, I'm just spitballing, we haven't talked about this yet. But it'll be cool because we can talk about um, why real estate is a great investment and how it works into your um, your three-sided your three-sided thing you said? <laughs> Balance sheet. <laughs> Balance sheet. <laughs> um, and then hopefully for the next episode, we can talk about and dig into writing those winning offers. And so, okay, you know now that you want it, you know it's a good thing um, to own. It's a great investment. So then we can hop back. We can kind of switch back and forth. Okay, lender side, and then let's go a little bit towards the realtor side. And so now you know you want to invest in real estate. How do you win an offer? Right, because if you look at, you know, that original saying, we said it last time, I think we've used it in all, both of the previous episodes that, you know, last year was the best time to buy real estate. The next best time is right now. And next year, it's going to be a little worse <laughs> because appreciation is going through, like, people Doomsday. who buy. Oh, wait, can I play this? <laughs> no, you may not. <laughs> we, we found in the podcast studio, there's, like, little buttons we can hit that um, have, you know, sound a laugh effects. track or whatever. And there was one that was a spooky sound. And I said to LaDonna that I should be, like, the most scary, whatever, the scariest thing in the no. real estate market today. And then I'd play it, and then it'd be, like, low appraisals. But she said, no, so now I'm just explaining it, so now it's even worse. <laughs> and I think that's where we're going to end the podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, again, I am Katie Keaton, realtor with Realty One Group Pacifica. Um, we are both located in Cowlitz County, Washington, and we are brought to you by the Kellett's Podcast Network. You can listen to our podcast and others at kellettspodcast.com. Again, this is Not Your Mother's Housing Market, and... I'm LaDonna Page with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. I'm a liabilities manager and mortgage originator. And my teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Okay. If you guys have any questions for us, definitely feel free to send us an email at notyourmothershousingmarket at gmail.com. And we will talk to you next week. All right.